0: got this okay all right hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 is where we'll start again we are continuing our series bodybuilding god's way today we're going to talk about what do i get out of church what do i get out of this most things we do in our life somebody comes and says hey i got a great deal for you first thing that hits my mind is all right so what do i get out of it?" i mean what does this benefit me Well, that's what we want to talk about today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24. Um, By the way, very familiar passage. I wish I had time to read all of it. Because it kind of ties together. We don't. So let's focus on these two verses. The writer of Hebrews says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's have a word of prayer real quick together. Father, we need Your help this morning. We pray that You will open our hearts and open our minds, that Your Holy Spirit will teach us from Your Word. Father, encourage us today and give us what we need so that we can become stronger spiritually in order to be more effective servants to bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for the opportunity and privilege we have to meet together and study it. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are actually two passages of Scripture that we're going to go back and forth between most of the morning. That is this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 and a passage in Acts chapter 2. So let's start here. Uh, and we'll we'll go from here to Acts two in just a second. Does anybody need a study sheet? Everybody got one, okay? If you'll hold your hand up real quick, Diane's got those for you, okay? Hebrews chapter ten. Let's look at a couple of things real quick that the writer of Hebrews points out uh, before we move on. He says here in uh, verse twenty five, latter part of the verse, he says, "And all the more, as you see the day approaching." Now I don't know about your version of the scripture. In mine, the word "day." is capitalized. The reason is, it's a proper noun. It is referring to a specific event that is going to take place, not just a random day. Does anybody know what that event is? Jesus Christ returned to earth. It's when He comes back, takes us to heaven, and the world as we know it completely changes. By the way, for a Christian, that is one of the things that describes The blessed hope that we look forward to. It's the second coming of Christ. When our Savior, the captain of our salvation, comes back and takes us to heaven, and you and I will no longer ever again for the rest of eternity ever have to battle with sin or the flesh or any of this garbage we have to go through while we live in this wicked, sinful world. It will all be over with. It will be done. The Bible describes heaven as a place where there is no sorrow, there is no crying, there is no death, there is no pain. It is with Jesus, serving and living with Him forever. That's the day He's talking about. Now the day's great. And Lord willing, it'll be tomorrow will be that day with a capital D. But we don't know that. But I want you to notice something that He says relative to that day getting here. He says whatever this is in verse 24 and 25 that we're supposed to be doing, we need to do it even more the closer this day gets here. So whatever this is, we need whatever it is more and more every day the closer we get to the coming of Christ. Why? Because the world is going to get worse and worse and worse the closer we get to the coming of Christ. Living as a believer... Doing what is right, walking with the Lord in joy and peace and happiness is going to get harder and harder. It's not going to get easier and easier. So whatever this is, the writer of Hebrews says, we need it a whole lot more now than we did this time last year. And this time next year, we're going to need it even more than we need it this year. So what is this? What is this, he says, we need to do more and more of the closer we get to the coming of Christ? Well, there's actually two things specifically. I want you to look at them. First of all, verse 24, he says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds." First of all, he says, one of these things you need to do more and more is to challenge and motivate each other to love better and do what's right even more. Now, I want you to notice the key to this. It's that we need to help each other do this. This is not I can run off in a hole somewhere by myself and and do it myself. He says you need to help each other. Spur one another on to this. Notice the second thing we need to do more and more is found in verse 25. By the way, this only makes sense. It's going to be kind of hard for me to encourage you and motivate you and help you to love better and do right better more and more if we don't do the second thing. Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as the manner of some are in the habit of doing. Okay? Now, you tell me, what do you think it means in the Greek? When he says, don't give up meeting together. What do you think in the Greek that means? Can you detect a little sarcasm in my voice? You know what it means in the Greek? Don't give up meeting together. Don't stop coming together. Okay, Let me ask you some questions real quick. So we can drive this point home because it's very important. Just like a lot of things in life, when we get used to them, the effectiveness and the importance of them can become diluted. One of the things that happens, especially in Columbia, South Carolina, because we are in the middle of the Bible belt, and that is when you say the word church, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Think about it. Church. Now, don't get all spiritual on me. I know you're spiritually mature, and you know what the real meaning is. But be honest for a minute as a human being. When somebody says, do you go to church? Is there some concept kind of like this that hits your mind? A building with a steeple on Sunday morning with a bunch of people in it. If we're honest, that's what most of us. I mean, at least in some way, that kind of enters our mind. Church. Okay, now let me ask you the second question, a follow-up. Is church a building? You can answer if you want to. Is church a building? No. Travel anywhere in the world, especially socialistic, communistic type areas of the world where you're not officially allowed. It's a lot better now than it used to be. But there are still places where you are not officially allowed as a Christian to gather and meet like this. So you know where they gather? Anywhere they can find where they don't get in trouble. You know what else they do? How many of you have heard of this uh, The ministry that's recently started called Secret Church? Any of you heard of that? It's really a pretty cool ministry. They do a couple of things. Number one, they help support underground churches around the world and their pastors. That's what they do. But one of the things they do to emphasize the importance of that is they have these and I'm not sure what they call them, uh, but they have these, I call them power Bible conferences. They just had one not too long ago, and they simulcast them um, all over. A good friend of mine at Lifeway was actually involved in one recently, and uh, it was simulcast, and evidently thousands of people actually attended. You know what it basically is? It's like a six- to seven-hour intensive Bible study session. Now, just just so we can kind of... Understand where we are as believers when when the importance of what we have all the time can get diluted. Let me ask you this. What if I announced that next Saturday we were going to meet right here at 8.30 in the morning? That would immediately eliminate about 30% of our crowd. 8.30 in the morning. And we are going to study the Bible till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, we will eat. If Bill Crockett's teaching, we are going to eat. So we we will eat. However, we're going to stay here all day, and we're we're going to study the Bible. Now, I'm not going to turn cartwheels. We're not going to have a three ring circus. There won't be a lot of entertainment, but there'll be a whole lot of real solid Bible teaching. How many people do you think we would have? Now, if I invited you, honestly, this illustration don't really work with you because. I know if I invited you, if any of you could possibly be here and you didn't have an obligation, I know you'd come. So you don't count. But if we asked just the general community, what kind of response do you think we'd get? And, and, and you know the answer. Probably not a whole lot. Now, that doesn't mean that, that that they're all bad people. I mean, our lives are busy and so forth, but you know what I'm trying to say. We're blessed that we don't have to hide and meet for six hours at a time because we never know when we'll be able to meet again. That's why they do that. We're blessed that we can meet like this every week. We're not persecuted. We're not arrested. We have this privilege. Here's the point. Church is not a building. Church is people. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. I promise you, He didn't die for a building. He died for people. We, as believers, are the church. So somebody says, well, what is Riverland Hills? Riverland Hills is a local gathering of the church. It is a local church. It is a group of people that are a part of God's church that come together together on a regular basis, in a local area, to do for each other what church is supposed to do. That's what Riverland Hills is. But the church is people. It's believers. Now, we're going to look at three things real quick today. Number one, what would a church do for me? In order for us to understand that, we have to understand what a church really is. And there are four things that the Bible calls a church that will help us to understand what the church does for us. When we choose to be a part of it, when we choose to gather locally with other people that are a part of it, what will it do for me? Number two, how do I use this in my life to grow spiritually? What what do I do to make this effective in my own life, personally? And then number three, what kind of results will I start to see if I do it right, the way God says? So let's look at these things real quick, uh, and then we'll be done. Number one, what will church do for me? Take your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, okay? Acts chapter 2, and we're going to go over there and find out what church will do for us by, first of all, looking at four things that the Bible calls church. Number one, the Bible says that church is a fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 41, the Bible says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So a church is called a fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. It literally means to share in together, to participate together, to partner, or a modern-day definition might be to be a part of a team. So literally, when the Bible says they committed themselves to the apostles' fellowship, they were referring to the fact, we joined their team. We started sharing in what they were doing. We started participating in what they were doing. So what does that mean for me? What does that do for me as far as church? It gives me a place to belong. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were together. It gave them a place to belong. They were a part of something. Number two, the Bible says that a church is also called a family. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says that we are to do, as we have opportunity, we're to do good to others, especially to those who are of the household of faith or the family of the believers. So we're a family. God is our Father. Jesus Christ His Son who we are joint heirs with because we are a part of God's family. So we're a family. What does that mean? That means that church, not only because it's a fellowship, gives me a place to belong, but because it's a family, it gives me a place to be loved. You know what we're going to do on the Friday before Christmas? We're going to go into a family's home and we're going to love them. You know how you love? Not just in word. The Bible says you love indeed and in truth. Do you know how these believers loved in Acts chapter 2? The Bible says they got together, they gathered all their possessions, and they started giving them out to everybody that had needs. That's how you love. Love is not just a word that you say. Love is action. It's something we do. So, church gives me a place to be loved. Number three, church is also called a flock. In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18... This is the good shepherd discourse given by Jesus. Here's where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. All that came to me tried to enter in the sheepfold the wrong way. But my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. I give to them eternal life. Neither will they perish, nor can any man take them away from me. Jesus is the good shepherd. What are we called? We're called sheep. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone out doing our own thing. We have um, some folks in our young professional ministry here that have a dog training school. And some of you have dogs and... Some of your dogs are trained and some of them are not. And we have dog trainings. We train dogs. We train horses. I don't know if you can train a cat or not. I don't, I don't know. I'm allergic to cats. But anyway, I don't, I don't know about that. I haven't seen too many sheep training schools advertised anywhere. You know how hard it is to train sheep? By the way, why do you think God used sheep as the analogy for us? I mean, there are lots of animals. I mean, why why didn't He use the gorilla, you know, for me, or, or the elephant. <laughs> or, my wife would enjoy it if it was a piggy. She loves little piggies. Um, maybe I remind her of that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. You know why God chose sheep? We all know, don't we? They're the most stubborn animal on the face of the earth. Guess what we are? Stubborn all day long. It's called our flesh. And we all got it. That's why we come here. We need help. I need help. I sometimes I wish I didn't have that. One day I won't when I get to heaven. But that's why we're called sheep. What do sheep need? Sheep need direction. That's why we're called a flock. What does church do? It provides a place for me to get direction. As a matter of fact, one of the terms used in the New Testament for the pastor, the position of a pastor, is the Greek word "poimen"? It literally means a shepherd. That's literally what He does. He shepherds the flock. He gives them direction. So, what is a church? It's peoples. What do these people need? What does being a part of that do for me? Well, because it's a fellowship, it gives me a place to belong. Because it's a family, it gives me a place to be loved. Because it's a flock, it gives me a place where I can get in the right kind of direction. But well, then notice number four, it's also called a body. In First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, the Bible says, speaking about the people in Corinth that were part of the church there, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a member in particular. Together you are the body, but each one of you is a specific, important, individual member of the body. First Corinthians 12 is the part... In the Bible, that talks about one part of the body can't say to the other part, I don't need you. And every part of the body is not the same part. What if the whole body was one great big eyeball? would be a freak, wouldn't it? What if the body was one great big head? Just kind of rolling around, looking at people all the time. I mean, we'd be a freak. What if the body was nothing but hips and legs? No torso, no shoulders, no arms. Man, that would really be weird, wouldn't it? We're not. The body includes every part, and the parts aren't the same, but they're all important. That's what we are. So what does church do for me? Because it's a body. It gives me a place to be significant. It gives me a place where I'm important. It gives me a place where I mean something. It gives me a place where I'm needed. Because every member of the body is needed. And that's what God said about us. So what does church do for me? It gives me a place to belong, a place to be loved. It gives me a place where I can be significant, and I can have purpose, and I can be meaningful, and it gives me a place I can go and get the right kind of direction. Now let me ask you a question. Can we worship God in a boat by ourselves on Lake Murray at 10.15 on Sunday morning? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. For some of you, this analogy may be more practical. Can you worship God at 4.30 in the morning with it 28 degrees outside in a deer stand all by yourself waiting for one of them little things to walk by? Yes, you can. I prefer not to worship God in that setting, but it's okay, you can. The truth is we worship God anywhere because worshiping God just means that we give Him the worth He deserves. That we honor Him. That we focus on Him. Did you know that church was not created just so we can worship God? That's not what church is all about. And yet, do you ask people, where are you going? I'm going to church. Where are you going to do? I'm going to worship God. As if that's the only reason I go there. That's the only place I can do that. Is it church? It's not. And that's why I told you before we started this, when I show you what church is really for, it may shock you. Church is about people. And people need to belong. People need to be loved. People need direction. People need to be significant and feel a part of something that's important and gives purpose. That's what church does. You can't get that in a boat or a deer stand by yourself. You know what the writer of Hebrews said we need to do more and more of as the day starts getting here? We need to gather and meet together more and more because as the day for Christ's return gets closer, we need these four things more and more. And this is the only way we get them. By the way, is the only time we meet together as believers on Sunday morning? Of course not. We have small groups that meet during the week. Do you know that when you meet together in those Bible studies, you're doing the same thing these four things do on Sunday morning? You're doing the same thing? What does the Bible tell us? Where two or three are gathered together in my name? What does He say? I am there. Doing this for you as believers. Okay? Does everybody get it? You see now what church is all about and coming together in a local group of believers? That's what it's all about. That's why we do this. So, if that's what church does for me, how do I use that to get stronger spiritually? What do I personally do? Let me give you this real quick. Three things. Number one, you've got to be converted. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the Bible says, those who accepted his message, Peter, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. First of all, you've got to be converted. You've got to be a part of the team. You've got to have something in common. The Bible says, what commonality does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Does God have with Satan? There is no common ground. There, there's nothing to be to have fellowship over. So in order for us to benefit from what church provides in the sense in which God talks about it, I've got to be converted. Until I've been born again and the Spirit of God lives inside of me, none of these things can happen to me because that's where it comes from. So first of all, they were converted. Number two, You've got to get connected. That's called discipleship. That's why in Matthew 28, Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, and teach them everything I've taught you. Now, the only way they're going to, the disciples are going to be able to do that is if they all get connected. That's why Acts 2 says that they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to the apostles. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They were together. They gathered daily together in the temple courts. you got to get connected. That's This is where a local body of believers becomes so important. That's why we have this. Because the church is all believers. It's the body. It's the family. But in order for all this to take place, we've got to connect with each other. We do that in local groups. That's what we do here. So you got to get connected. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the writer said in verse 25, do not stop meeting together like some people are getting in the habit of doing. You know, there's something else interesting about that statement. Meeting together with other believers is a habit. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have bad habits? i got lots of them. <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself eating too much is not a bad habit. I ain't worked yet.
1: But anyway, I, I got
0: bad habits. Okay? Uh, as my wife, I snore. That must be a bad habit, right, babe? <laughs> Daryl snores too. Good. I'm in good company, brother. We have something in common. That's fellowship. <laughs> fellowship <laughs> of the snorers, okay? All right? So we all, we all got bad habits, don't we? I mean, we all got those. All right? How many of you have good habits? Okay? Tell me what's easier. Is it easier to break a bad habit or to start a good habit? They're both pretty tough, right? Some people might think it was a whole lot easier to start a good one than it is to break a bad one. Not necessarily because in order to start the good one, you've got to break the bad one. It's tough, isn't it? How many of you, like me, used to be in the habit of getting up and going through some type of physical exercise program, and you stopped. And when you stopped, you're like me a year and a half later. You ain't never been able to kick-start that thing again. It's tough, isn't it? You know what? Going to church or Bible study or meeting with believers to get this, it's a habit. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop doing it like some people have gotten in the habit of doing They formed this bad habit of not meeting with believers. What's happening? They're not getting this. What's happening to their spiritual strength? The same thing that happens to our physical strength when we stop working out. We get weaker and weaker and weaker until one day. Physically, the doctor says, Bill, if you don't start exercising and lose weight, you're going to have a heart attack. Spiritually, that may sound like this. If you don't change some things in your life, you're going to end up in disaster. Divorce. Broke. Losing everything you got. Addicted to drugs and pills and alcohol. That's what it sounds like spiritually. Same process. Church... Gathering with believers is critical to our spiritual strength and growth. You can't do without it. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, Don't stop, like some people are getting in the habit of doing. So, what do I do? How do I use this? Convert it, get connected. Then, number three, stay committed. This is the hard part. Just like working out physically, it's hard to stay committed. Stay committed to what? Three things in Acts 2. Number one, stay committed to study and learn. They, were, they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now that, that ain't always fun. but I got, it's, it's not fun, but I've got to stay devoted to it. Sometimes working out's not fun. But if I'm going to do it, i got to do it even though it's not fun. I've got to make myself do it. Okay? Number two, be devoted to service. In Acts 2 and verse 45, the Bible says, they went out and they served. Find out what your spiritual gift is and get involved doing something. Everybody doesn't do the same thing, but everybody can do something. So get involved doing something. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 says that the body grows and builds itself up when every member supplies the work that that member only can do. So when everybody works together, the whole job gets accomplished. So serve. Then number three, and this sometimes is one of the hardest, I've got to be committed to support and protect. The team. Um, there are two things about the team we need to support and protect. And, and let me give you this. Acts two forty four through 47 talks about the fact that they are a team. They were together. They ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Interesting thing was they were together all the time and they actually liked each other. <laughs> they actually liked each other. They met together daily. And the Bible says they ate together with gladness and singleness of heart. There are two things we've got to support and protect. Number one is peace within the team. Ephesians chapter 4 verse number um, 3 says that we are to strive to keep unity in the body. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says that's one of the purposes of the body. is to maintain unity. A house divided cannot stand. So if Satan wants to destroy a local group of believers that are becoming effective, what's the best way to do it? Split them. What's the best way to split them? Get them to irritate each other. Get them to become selfish. Get them to not like each other. Get them to start gossiping about each other. I got to thinking about this for those of you that are Clemson fans. Finally, it's something to cheer about. Um, last night, after the worst month in Clemson football, I think, they finally won a championship, the ACC championship. I thought to myself, when I was thinking about this, what would happen if three guys on Clemson's football team, primarily a certain quarterback, a certain running back, and some unusual freshman wide receiver, all came up yesterday to the team in the locker room before the game and said, we're not going to play tonight, we're going to watch. I'll tell you one thing, Virginia Tech would be a whole lot happier today if they had done that. But what would their team have felt like? Can you imagine these three guys walking in the locker room and saying, we're not going to play, we're just going to watch. What? How come you're not going to play? Well, one of our offensive linemen said something to another offensive lineman about us and hurt our feelings, and when, if they're on the field, we're not, we're not going to be on the same field as that guy. I ain't playing on the same team as him. Either he goes or we go. By the way, who gets hurt by that kind of attitude? The whole team. Ring any bells? Bring back any situations in our life? Satan is not a dummy. He's really smart. Now, stop and think about the things that Satan uses to destroy unity within the body. Most of them, if we stop and think about them, are pretty childish, aren't they? They really are. I'm not accusing nobody. I'm I'm guilty. I'm guilty. It happens to me too. That's why we need each other. I need you to motivate me to love and do what's right when I don't feel like doing what's right or when I allow my emotions and my attitude to take over instead of my brain. And it happens. It happens. Okay? So, here's the deal. We've got to support and protect the team by keeping peace. And then number two, by maintaining our purpose. All right? Romans 15 verses 5 through 7 talks about our purpose. Let me give you the purpose. It's one thing. To glorify God. That's it. To glorify God. It's not to promote Bill Crockett. It's not to make Bill Crockett feel better. It's not to help Bill Crockett with all his needs. The purpose of the team is to glorify God. Period. He's the only one that matters. But when we do that, all of our needs get met. So anything that I would do that hurts that cause, anything I would do that keeps the team from winning, I have to be willing not to do it for the betterment of the team so we accomplish our goal and win the game, which is to glorify God. Okay? Now let me give you one more thing, real quick, and uh, we're gonna have to stop. Okay, church. Why do I go there? Why am I involved in this? How does it help me grow? All right. Finally, if I go to a place where I feel like I belong, I'm loved, I get direction, I become significant, I use it in the right way. I'm I'm truly born again. I'm committed to it. I'm connected to a local group of these believers. If I do all that, studying and learning, serving maintaining unity, if I do that, what's going to happen in my life? Let me give you real quick these five things that happened. These are the results you and I will begin to see literally in our lives if we do this like this. Number one, you'll have peace and joy in your life. Acts 2.46 said they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There was peace and joy among those people. Number two, you will have people to encourage and support you in your life. Do you know for those of you that are away from home and the only family you have here is this family? And by the way, our family is like that. My wife and I and our children. That's all that's here. You are our family. If I have a heart attack next week, don't say I told you something, but if I have a heart attack next week, hopefully not, and I'm in the hospital, you know where my wife's going to come to get support and help? She's going to come to you. They're going to get on the phone, and they're going to call you because we know you will come. You're our family. Everybody needs that. So if we do this right, you have people to encourage and support you. Number three, we have purpose. I have a reason to get up every day. Rick Warren, several years ago, wrote a book. To me, one of the most life-changing books ever written, Purpose-Driven Life. Do you know there's nothing in that book that is theologically shocking? There's nothing in that book that is theologically deep. It's just a basic, practical book. But you know what he did? He took the Bible and he explained to us that from the Scripture, God says, We all matter. We are here for a reason. There is a purpose, and here's how you can know it. Do you know what people do who don't have purpose? They swallow bottles of pills and stick guns in their mouth. They do it every day. And you know what they say in their letters before they do it? I have no reason to live. I don't want to live anymore. Basically, I have no purpose. There's no reason for me to get up today. I don't know about you, But I sure hope nobody crosses my path and feels that way that I don't at least show them I love you. If you don't have any other purpose for living, I'm a purpose. I need you. I want you around. We need purpose. Number four, if I do this right, I'll see personal spiritual growth in my own life. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 14 says that's why we were given pastors and evangelists and teachers so we can grow so we're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. We grow spiritually. And then finally, if we do this right, we'll see the presence of God manifested in our life more than we ever have. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43 that many signs and miracles were done among them because they were together doing these things the right way. But you know what else? In verse number 47, the Bible says the Lord added to their group daily people being saved. Why do you think that happened? Because I believe if we do church the way we're supposed to, the way God describes it here, with these purposes being committed to it like this, maintaining unity, loving and serving, you know what's going to happen? There's a world out here that is starving for that. And they're going to see, I can go over there and get it. And that's why they grow. So, what is church? It's not a building with a steeple full of people on Sunday morning. A church is God's people connected together, doing God's work by doing their part in the body. And the result of that is we love and we encourage each other, and then other people come join. That's church. And if you do it this way, we grow and we're strengthened. Let's pray. Father, thank You for allowing us to be a part of Your family. Thank You for giving us this local family to be a part of our lives. Father, may we be a great example of what a real church is. Help us to be committed and use us to reach our community in Jesus name. Amen. All right, we are um...